Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but there are moments when I come across a phrase, particularly in the scripture, or maybe you come across a, um, yeah, a, a lyric in a song or, or a phrase in a poem, and it catches your breath, and you stop, and you, you, you clasp your heart, and you say, that's everything I've ever thought about that. It becomes, it belongs to you. And uh, there's a phrase in this particular text that did that very thing to me. It's a, just a small phrase. And you will, um, you know, there will be a different phrase that captures your attention. But for me, it was this phrase when, at the very beginning, we'll, we'll read the whole thing a little bit later, but this, this thing that Jesus says, um, it is for this reason that I have come. For this very reason. For this hour. That's so powerful. It is for this reason. I don't know about you. I think we've all had our defining moments. And uh, that's what I'd like to talk to you about today, our defining moments. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for your love for us, for the um, wonder that we have that, of you being our God, of the incredible privilege of of you filling us up with purpose and meaning. And we thank you for the grand adventure of revealing that meaning, of experiencing that purpose. And we pray that we will glorify your name in the coming moments. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. So I think we all have our defining moments. And and as we talk together today, I think that there, some of those will come to your mind, and I hope they do, because I, I want you to consider that perhaps God is lifting up those moments for you to hang on to, to unpack, to live again in another way. And it's these moments that we know that the choice we make or the direction that we take is somehow bigger than ourselves. It's in that very moment. It's a moment that we may encounter the truest reflection of ourselves. And quite honestly, sometimes it's for the better and sometimes it's for the worst. But we know we're going to see the true picture of ourselves. And it's also a moment that always, always involves the defining of another person as well. There's always an involvement, a participation by another group of people or by another person in this defining moment. I know for me there have been some moments when I have these moments, and I'm pretty sure you do as well, but I remember the moment I decided to pursue ministry against the advice, counsel, and threat of some many others around me. The moment my children were born and I looked into their face, that may sound very cliche, but unless you've done it, (laughs) you're all going to know that's true. It defines you. Uh, The first time I held a dying person's hand defined me in that moment. 
the first time I shared with a family their greatest tragedy or their greatest wonderful moment. Uh, I think that doing my dad's funeral and the funeral of all my grandparents, those moments defined me, baptizing my children, performing my daughter's wedding, driving eight hours to get to my sister when a, a midnight phone call I just heard these three words, I need you. Those are the moments that define you. And how do they define you? They're, because they're all moments that I found myself saying, if for this moment I have prepared all my life, if all my education, all my experience, everything I have is for this moment, it is good enough because it's worth it for this very moment. This moment has value. It's worth it, and it's enough. And I can't help but think about Jesus as he experienced his ministry. And all those many moments of definition that led him up to an ultimate moment where he could actually say, it is this hour for which I have come. But there are moments in between and leading up to that. I think about Jesus looking into the eyes of those who are lost and hurt, into the eyes of the innocent and the guilty, into the eyes of the, the insane and the evil, into the eyes of, of those who are, their need is so overpowering that they are completely broken looking into my eyes. I think about Jesus raising that little girl from the de deathbed and being such a, a parent saying, this little girl is hungry, get her something to eat. The caring that went into that, of healing a woman that had been bleeding for 12 years, of calling a little man out of a tree and changing his life forever by saying, I see you differently than everybody else does. And I'm going to your house. Changed his life forever. And in those moments, Jesus put things on the line when he said each of those. He had to come to a defining moment, whether he would enter into their pain, their sorrow, their uh, being less than they needed to be. Looking to the eyes of an enemy centurion and saying, I have never encountered such faith. I can't help that think that in each moment, Jesus may have felt that defining moment as he was filled up with something bigger than himself, beyond himself, and as not only that, but he stepped beyond himself for the sake of another and in the name of God, and it was enough. But that's God's economy. All the time when we think it's enough, God has more. That's always how it works. So every defining moment that I've ever came from that I said, if this is what my whole life was about, this is enough. Every time, there's another moment, and another moment, and another. And I, I, I feel certain that you experience the same thing in God's wonderful, beautiful economy. So let's look at John 12, 20 through 33. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, 
The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. This is the word of the Lord. You know, this text is situated dramatically in the context of the festival of Passover. So we know that those coming to seek Jesus were at least proselytes. Because I know there are a few students from my Monday night Bible study. So you have to answer this question. When he says Greeks came to the door, what does that mean? That's it. Ah, Anything but Jewish is a Greek. Another word for Greek in the scriptures is Gentile. Anybody but a Jew. So this was indicative. This scripture is laid out for us to understand that now the broader world was beginning to come to seek Jesus. The hour was near. But it's set dramatically within a context of the festival of Passover. And before, before this event, we have Jesus raising Lazarus. We have Mary anointing Jesus' feet in the presence of the religious leaders. And we have the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And imagine the response to all of those events. The, the response is, is, is really kind of crazy, and it's fickle. The response is fickle, and it be, continues to be fickle throughout Holy Week. Because on the one hand, you have crowds of people forming to come and hear Jesus and to be healed by Jesus. And at the very same time, because of those crowds, there are others that are plotting to kill Jesus because of what he's saying. And you have all these people who begin to regard Jesus as maybe more than your run-of-the-mill rabbi. Maybe he's something more. And at the very same time, you have Judas in the heart of the disciples. Irritation is escalating. Whose vision is, is, is being skewed towards something else. So Jesus sees the Greeks as the, as the, uh, the scouting party for all the other people. And you notice that he never really answers when they say, there are Greeks at the door, and Jesus takes that opportunity to let them know once more that he has a mission, and he's trying to tell them what the mission is. So far, they refuse to hear it. 
and he knows that they're so close to hearing what the mission is, yet they're distanced from it because things are building. The momentum is building up at this narrative. All the eyes, all the focus, including those of the Gentile, are on this person of Jesus. And this scene is strikingly shaped for a powerful statement that comes from Jesus regarding not only what is going to happen, but what it means, what's going to happen. So one more time, Jesus tries to tell them what his mission really is. He says, the hour has come. It's an hour to which his whole life has been leading that definition of who he is and, and, and what he is. And I can't help but think he's a little anxious about it. Because we don't know how we're going to be in those moments. We just don't know. Well, we have it within us to do what we know is something that needs to be done. At the pivotal center of this gospel, John gives us Jesus' most significant statement of glory. It's a strange statement. It's something that we don't quite, uh, it's not something that we intuitively understand at the very beginning. Glory, which is the brightness of God's presence right here on home ground. It clearly has something to do with his death and with his burial and with God's ultimate power and authority over this end as we've always known it. But Jesus tells the disciples that the time or hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he says to God in this, in what we just read, so now you be glorified. He can only be glorified by God being glorified. It's truly important to him that his disciples begin to understand what this message is about and what this hour means. But it's going to take some relearning by them because they believe that they, it's clear for them what this would mean. At this time, it's still clear that Jesus is now going to take over and Rome is going to be beaten down and Jesus will be crowned king and all of that prophecy will come true where all of the Jews will be gathered from the four corners of the world and be in power in Jerusalem. That's what their image is. That's what they're moving towards. But Jesus takes the brightest word that we have in our vocabulary and he plunges it into the darkest pit of experience. It's a violent and excruciating death. It's everything we ever associated with glory has to be recast. It's, in a sense, we've entered a mystery, and it's a mystery that Christ desires for us to enter into. But it's not a total mystery. Uh, Anybody who's a gardener, are there any gardeners in the room? Anybody like to garden? Oh, you guys, I've seen your lawns. (laughs) If you're not gardening, somebody is. I want you to think about that. But every gardener or farmer knows something about this. Every spring we bury seeds in our gardens and in a few weeks we begin to enjoy beautiful flowers or the nourishment of fruits and vegetables. All of these things have to go down into the dirt and they have to be grown. And although what he offers his disciples at this time is an oddly jolting and jarring metaphor, 
Grains of wheat must, in a sense, die to what they are if they are not to remain alone and fruitless. We must die to ourselves to be born so that we can be more, that there can be more of us. The metaphor, in other words, enables our participation. That's what the metaphor is saying. We're all a part of this. It's not just, this moment is not just my hour. This moment is everybody's hour. This is, I am defining everyone's life in this moment. So Jesus' imagery is totally counter to our culture of acquiring more. Instead of grasping more tightly, Jesus says, let go. Hold it lightly. Let it fall to the earth so that it can seed the earth and more can be born. As Jesus himself said in verses 24 through 25, listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life, just as it is, destroys that life. But if you let go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. This hour that Jesus speaks about then sounds a little bit like a a cautionary, foreboding tale of loss, even though it may have a happy ending. And Jesus, quite frankly, is troubled by this hour. This is very... uh, tender to me. As tender as it is, this is John's Gethsemane, where John says Jesus is troubled by this whole, uh, this whole hour that's coming. But in that same troubling moment, he sees what his life has been all about. And he won't ask to be spared from it, from this hour, because it bears the reason for his whole life. So when we're in that moment, and we know that it may not turn out well for us, but it's something that we have to do. We may be rejected. We may be uh, fined. I don't know what it is, but we know we have to do it uh, in the name of God on behalf of others. That's a, de- that's a defining moment when the other takes on a bigger and more important place in our life than our very own lives. Jesus is the point of contact between heaven and earth. And the future is present in Jesus. He's in heaven even as he is in earth, on earth. And eternal life, friends, is not about time. It's not about how long. The eternal life is God's life. So if you want eternal life, if you want God's life, then we have to die to be born. The kingdom divine rule is being translated into life. God's love, as seen in Jesus Christ, has joined us and will join us forever, wherever evil threatens to take over. Wherever that happens, love comes down, and love is divine, and to join us in whatever pain or loss or sorrow might be ours in the person of Jesus. We are joined again. God has made God's self available to humankind. 
God has poured himself out for the life of the world, and Jesus makes heaven and earth one. There on the cross, God is fully all in. And this action of self-emptying will be consummated in a final, free, surrendering love. Surrender! The God who became human will affect an action of ultimate love. You know, a long time ago, a friend of mine was so frightened of heights. And um, so she was so frightened of heights, and this is the type of person she was, that she went and signed up for like a, 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 a quest course where she could be uh, uh, exposed to that fear of heights. And so at one point she, she said that she walks out to this rock where, and she's harnessed into a safety harness, but what she's expected to do is just step out into thin air. And she can't do it. She says she tried and tried, but she would take a step and then step back, take a step and step back. And the guy standing behind her said, is there anything I can do to help? And she said, you could give me a little nudge. (laughs) And he said, okay, I will. So she stood there not knowing when that nudge would come, and he came up and he gave her a little nudge, and she went out, and she said she laughed all the way down. But she needed a little nudge. So friends, when we're asked to step out into thin air, as Jesus did, when he, walk, when he walked up to Calvary, he stepped out into thin air with no promises that it would end well, only the promise that he was, had served well. When we step out, maybe we're too frightened to step out. Maybe it's too much for us. Can you screw up your courage a little bit and ask Jesus to give you a little nudge, I guarantee you, you may just laugh all the way down. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for the moments that you have given us, the moments that define us, and the moments that we share that definition with others, the moments in other people's lives where they have defined us, We pray, O God, that as you came to this moment where you knew that this was your finest hour, this was that hour in which you had been, your life had been centered around, that we were a part of that, that we received that definition. And may we step out in faith and love and laugh all the way down. We thank you, God, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Can you sing this? Sing one more song.